Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Rebecca Hirschberg. Rebecca is a clinical psychologist, parenting coach, author, and public speaker who has been helping parents with their kids and vice versa for more than two decades through her extensive work in private practice, schools, primary care pediatrics, and community-based organizations. She is the author of The Tantrum Survival Guide and has been published widely, including The New York Times and on Parents.com, as well as Today Parents. She currently lives in Lower Westchester with her husband and two sons. In today's episode, we talk about tantrums, no matter the age, and how to work through them as a parent. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, everyone. We have Dr. Rebecca Hirschberg here today. Welcome. Thank you. Such a treat. So today we are going to be talking about tantrums. And Rebecca, as I was just chatting with you before we started recording, I, you know, personally, when I think of tantrums, I think of my two-year-old, my three-year-old throwing themselves on the ground and kind of, you know, being upset about whatever whatever it was. But what I'm excited about today is that we are going to be talking about not only tantrums from when they're little, but all the way up until they end up leaving our house. Because if you think back to your teen years, I mean, I'm sure you can come up. Then we still have our partner's tantrums. Well, (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole different episode. (laughs) (laughs) But it it speaks to the point of like, just because they leave your house, like, they're always going to be your kids. And these things really are through the lifespan. I mean, I think that's what there are a lot of misconceptions about tantrums, at least the way that I conceptualize tantrums. And Mm -hmm. that's one of them. Yes. Yes. And people always ask me, you know, when will my kid outgrow this? And of course, there's, there's more academic answers and more helpful answers. But I certainly always say, well, I don't know, I threw a tantrum last week. What about you? (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Yes. So I am like, so excited to talk to you about this topic, because I think navigating them is difficult and giving us tools uh, and tips to use along the way will be really, really helpful for us. So can you just start off by sharing a little bit about your background and maybe why you became so passionate about this topic in general? Sure. So I am a trained as a child psychologist, a clinical psychologist with a focus in in kids. I worked, I did my graduate degree at University of Virginia. Then I worked at, um, I did my internship at NYU and Bellevue Hospital. And right after I graduated, I got involved with the child welfare system in New York City. And I was doing a lot of crisis evaluations for kids who were tweens and teens and kind of in the system and from these, you know, horrifically underserved communities. And it was very depressing. And I lasted for a few years. And then I said, I need to do something 
with younger kids because I this I hate to be fatalistic, but we know where this is going, right? We know where these paths go. We know where this intergenerational cycle of trauma goes. How can I get involved in kind of more preventive work? And I ended up getting a position at Montefiore Medical Center, which is another, you know, research-based hospital mm-hmm. in the city, doing integrated mental health care within pediatrics. And what was so great about that was a real acknowledgement by the institution that pediatricians are frequently not trained in behavioral health and mental health. And so what you'll have is you'll bring your kid to the pediatrician and they'll be able to tell you everything that, and this is changing a little bit to be fair, but they'll tell you everything you ever wanted to know about some rare skin disease that your child will never ever get. And when it comes to talking about sleep or tantrums or, you know, whatever else of, that is a typical childhood issue, they'll talk about their own kids or like their mm-hmm. nephew. <laughs> you know, and yeah. suddenly there went all the science and there went all the training. And so what was great about being in general peds was being able to be called in for those consults and mm-hmm. actually to speak with parents, not in any long-term therapy way, but about just what are the day-to-day concerns. Mm-hmm. And I found it that you could, you could change a parent's whole mindset in one conversation, you know, about what was going on with their 13, 14, 15 month old. And tantrums ended up being of particular interest to me as I left Montefiore and started my private practice and really kind of delved in in that way and ended up writing a book because they're really just the most kind of or one of the most extreme examples of like child feelings. And I've always been interested in child feelings. I'm a child psychologist. And there's so many misconceptions. And again, I think it's, it's gotten a little bit better. Now there's just a lot of noise, but the correct information is out there. At the time, it really just felt like there was still this old school you know, a tantrum is what a kid does when a kid is spoiled and can't get what they want. Mm -hmm. And I felt passionate about working with families and saying, yeah, no, that's not actually what this is. It can be, you know, that's certainly one of the possibilities, but really doing a deeper dive into what was happening and helping families therefore be able to respond in a more attuned and helpful way for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's funny because before I had kids, when I would see a child, you know, out in a store or a restaurant and, you know, they're throwing these tantrums, that's almost like what I thought about it too. It was like, oh boy, another kid just being mad that they didn't get something, you know? And I don't know yeah. if it's like society and, you know, that's just what we think of when we see that. But then I had my own kids and I was like, wait a minute, I don't think that they're, you know, like that preconceived notion I had, I was like, wait, are my kids spoiled? Is that why they're doing that? And I was like, no. This... <laughs> so it's like, yeah, that's what you think of when well, you I see that. We're I all like... amazing parents before we had kids. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we all knew right? exactly what to do and how to parent everybody else's children, even the strangers yeah. in the restaurant. Yeah. And then we had our own kids and realized maybe not so much. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. I would love for you to talk to us about what is going through a child's mind during that time when they're feeling like out of control and in the midst of that tantrum, like what is happening? Yeah. So, I mean, even just the phrase, what's going through their mind, I think it's important to clarify. It's not cognitive, right? It's not a choice. It's not, I can tell you, or even if I don't have the language, I'm feeling something very linear. Like I am upset that I didn't get this thing and therefore I am falling apart. It's a much more instinctive biological reaction that is a threat response, basically. It's it's the amygdala 
in the brain, which is responsible for, for emotions, for fear, for detecting threat, detecting some sort of a threat. And I'll talk about that in a second. And then the hypothalamus, which is what's, and I'm oversimplifying this greatly, obviously, mm-hmm. but responsible for some unconscious processes like heart speeding up and you know, different stress chemicals being not chemicals, but hormones and whatnot being released into the body. They sort of work together. The amygdala detects some sort of a threat and the hypothalamus kicks in. And then your kid is just completely in what we would call, you know, a fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. And so they're just kind of panicked and can't really get themselves back into control right away. The question that you know, to me stems most naturally from what I just said is like, you know, what the hell is a threat response? Like their peanut butter is spread too thin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like They're not being chased mm-hmm. by a bear, you know? And I think that's where families get frustrated, understandably, because we as adults know, you know, this is no big deal, you know, but the part of our brains, and we still can have tantrums as we re- reference, which I'll, I'll go into too, but the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that's responsible for kind of planning and judgment, inhibiting impulses, kind of being able to look at a situation and determine exactly, like I said, it's not a big deal. Those parts of the brain, that part of the brain doesn't develop till much later. And so kids don't have the ability to to judge in that way. And actually, Mona Delahook, who wrote the book, Brain Body Parenting, I think something like that. And then another one, She's an excellent scientist in this realm. And she talks about, it's just a really accessible definition that the threat is actually an inability to predict that our Mm -hmm. brains have over time developed that we survive by constantly and unconsciously predicting exactly what we need Mm -hmm. to do to survive. And what happens when little kids have tantrums, they don't have enough life experience to be able to predict, for example, what disappointment is going to feel like. And so it's actually prediction error, right? It's like, I predicted my peas weren't going to touch my potatoes. And I was cool with that. (laughs) I never in a million years would have predicted that they were touching and just how awful this would feel. Mm -hmm. And so it does feel like a threat to my being able to predict and feel stable in my world. And so I'm falling apart, which again, sounds crazy, but it makes a lot of sense from a brain science perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me personally, like as a mom was the most difficult thing for me to navigate because like you said, I think you briefly said like it's triggering for me because I'm like, why are you so upset right now? And again, when I first had my first child, totally naive. I mean, I'm in medicine, but I don't work with kids and and I work in a mostly adult patient-centered ED. We occasionally get kids, not often. And I didn't have any nieces or net, like I had one nephew at the time, but you know, like I didn't have any experience with kids. And you're not, you know, there are certain things as a parent that you, you have a kid and, and, you know, it's just, you know what to do. Right. But I feel like these certain things like navigating a tantrum, for example, it's not something you just know how to handle. And it was really, really triggering for me when my kid would, you know, like you said, the peanut butter was not spread thin enough or, you know, the certain food is touching or, and you kind of like take a step back and you're like, what is happening? Like, and for me, it was like, it almost made me want to throw a tantrum because I'm like, why are you throwing a tantrum? I don't, you know. (laughs) So, and especially as a mom who, you know, 
you yourself are spread thin, not to make you sound like peanut butter, but you are, you know, working like, I couldn't resist doing that, but yeah, you're, yeah, you're no, working like crazy in the ED. You're, you've like managed to get it together to even make your kid a peanut butter sandwich, which feels like a giant victory given the 25,000 emails you have to return and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then when they seemingly reject it in this way, I think a lot of parents get into completely understandable trouble, yeah. feeling like it's some sort of personal, you know, like, mm-hmm. are you freaking kidding me? Mm-hmm. You know, do you know how everything I do, I do for you? Right. And now you're, you know, and so there, there ends up being this real misattunement between the child whose response is really a biological response that's completely mm-hmm. developmentally appropriate. That's just, they're overwhelmed with fear, anxiety, anger, threat, response, whatever. And a parent who's taking it personally. Right. Like you are doing this to right. me. I think it can be hard too when you're in that state of, you know, like I was in this 10-year period of having, you know, four kids and nursing them and and in that craziness of a period often felt like a failure for like a million different reasons, right? And I think um, many mothers can relate to that. And you're just having one of those days and, you know, one, two or three of your kids are throwing a tantrum about, you know, like these these things that we of course know are not huge things and to not make it personal is very very difficult and so if you can walk us through and i think you know obviously this is going to look different depending on the child's age so maybe you could walk us through just examples of children from varying ages how you would personally kind of walk through these incidents with them yeah, and and some of the steps are going to be the same, honestly. So I'll kind of start with what I feel like is a universal response to anyone from your, you know, toddler throwing a tantrum to your partner throwing a tantrum, mm-hmm. which is that you need to stay regulated. It's easier said than done. Regulation is like this big catchword now. But the the bottom line is that when someone is, and particularly, you know, humans are social creatures and we co-regulate, meaning we use other people's nervous systems as a cue to, and this is not a conscious process, as a cue to ours of kind of how worried to be, you know, how upset you walk into a room, everybody's panicking. You don't need to know a thing. You feel that energy. Similarly, you walk into a spa and everybody's blissed out. You feel that, you know, we all kind of co-regulate with each other. And certainly when it comes to, let's say, a baby or a toddler and a parent, they really need you to co-regulate. Whereas once you're two adults, let's say, living together romantically, you don't need each other in the same way, but you do feed off of each other's energy. Mm -hmm. You do still co-regulate. And so when someone is having a tantrum or a threat response, whatever, whatever we want to call it, they feel on some very basic biological level, like they are being chased by a bear. Mm -hmm. right? They feel like danger is coming. And the thing that you can do that is most important is to let them know through your body language, through your response, maybe through your words, maybe not, that you know there's no bear coming, that actually it's okay, right? If your child starts, let's say, we'll start with a three-year-old. If your three-year-old starts, you know, losing it about the peanut butter not being too thin and you meet them where they are and you're like, what are you talking about? I made it just, I made it as thin as you like, oh, now I have to start all over again. You throw that one in the garbage and you take out the toast and you're just, you know, you are communicating to them. Yes, there is now a bear in our midst. 
you know, and (laughs) everything is urgent and everything is a crisis and everybody's wound up. If you can take a moment, take a deep breath and say, I'm, and some, and it goes against biology in some ways with our kids because our, we evolved so that our blood pressure and our threat systems go off when our kids' threat systems go Mm -hmm. off because we need to take care of them. Yeah. But if you can sort of just stop and pause for a second and be like, this feels like a crisis, this isn't a crisis. Like this is about peanut butter. And instead of using that to say like, to your kid, you know, what is your problem? It's just peanut butter to kind of say that to yourself and act like it's just peanut butter, Mm -hmm. which is to stay regulated and say like, okay, we'll figure this out. You know, it's almost like you're not going to say these words, but it's like, okay, like, you know, and, and then you can validate the feelings and all, you know, but again, it's like if, if your partner who's a grown person, you know, something happens and they start slamming doors or slamming pots or whatever, the same thing. It's like, this Mm -hmm. feels like a crisis. This person I love and live with is in some sort of a state. The best thing I can do is not get into that state myself. Mm-hmm. And again, so that's kind of universal. Once you're dealing with a with a child or, I mean, again, I think this is universal too, to show them that you get it. And again, this isn't always with language. Language When kids are in this state or grownups, I'll stop saying kids and grownups. I'll, I'll let you know when something is different mm-hmm. <laughs> for a kid or a grownup. <laughs> When people are in this state, they often can't necessarily take in language. And that's one of the mistakes I think as parents we make most often is like we start addressing this rationally or just using a lot of words. We talk about validating feelings, right? That's become a really big thing. It's a really important thing, but it's not always with language. Validating feelings just means helping your child understand that you get it. Mm-hmm. And that can just be with like a, like a, oh. I I tell this story a lot about, I think it's in my book, way back, I think it was before my husband and I were married, it was certainly before kids. And I lived in New York City, we lived together in New York City, and I'd had just a really lousy day where I locked, you know, the keys in the apartment when I left. Mm -hmm. And so I had to call the super and the super was kind of an asshole, pardon my language. And you know, and then I was, I got stuck in traffic, you know, on the parkway to go down to a client. I was still doing house calls and I got there and I thought the client would be understanding and they weren't. And I just felt off. It was just like everything that went mm-hmm. wrong. And, I, and at the end of the day, you know, I was telling my husband about it. I was like, oh, it was the worst day. Listen to all these things. And I remember he looked at me and he said, you know, I just, I feel like you should wake up a little bit earlier to just create more of a cushion. And <laughs> I, <laughs> when I tell you, my amygdala and hypothalamus kicked into action. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I moved forward in my seat. I felt my heart speed up. I think I like grabbed the armchair, you know, the, the, like my fingers kind of white knuckled. And I, and I just started talking louder and more intensely. Right. I was like, no, mm-hmm. you don't understand. <laughs> Did I mention the traffic was bumper to bumper? And like uh, that was a version of a tantrum. Now, if he had looked at me instead and just said, Oh, the opposite would have happened. I would have calmed down. My heart would have slowed down. I would have. Mm-hmm. And by the way, then an hour later, by all means, he could tell me that I needed a cushion because he was right. right. You know, there's no question right. he was right. right. <laughs> it was just the timing. <laughs> all of this is a really long and secure, circuitous, but I hope helpful way of illustrating that our kids just need us in that moment to get that for them, this feels awful. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a simultaneous I'm not going to act like there's a bear chasing you, but I'm going to say, I know that for you, that's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. And you can do that just with your face. Like, oh, you really 
really don't like the way I did the peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can figure this out, you know, or mm-hmm. this is the, and sometimes echoing what you think your child means, which can be sort of a fun experiment, you know, saying to your child, this is not only did I mess up the peanut butter, I, I ruined it completely. Now you can't even look at peanut butter. You know, you can't even think about peanut butter. You know, that's like for a six-year-old maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes you'll get a little laugh or, but you'll also just get a little bit of like, yeah, thank you. Like, that's what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> a lot of tantrums start being about a thing and then they become, you know, you don't get it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I, I once, I used mm-hmm. to do home observations and I did this home observation of a mom who was with her, I think two and a half year old, and she had run out of milk. There was just no more milk in the house. Mm -hmm. And the kid was screaming for milk. And the mom was like, we don't have milk. We do not have milk, you know, and and the kid Mm -hmm. was getting more and more upset. And the mom was like, what do I do? And it really was a question of like, oh, I am the worst, (laughs) you know, like, we don't have milk, and you really want milk. And that feels awful. Mm -hmm. And the kid calmed down because yeah. it wasn't about explaining why mm-hmm. we couldn't have, you know, it was about this feels awful to you. And once you acknowledge that you see that, that you get that, mm-hmm. then kids calm down. Teenager, you know, a tantrum might look different. Teenagers get withdrawn, right? You say the wrong thing and it might be something you have no idea is the wrong thing, right? You say like, you know, I hear it's supposed to be rain this weekend and you forgot that they have a soccer tournament or something. And they look at you like you're the worst person in the world and they walk away and they slam their door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, it's like, I'm going to regulate. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give them their space. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get sucked in, yeah. you know, following them up the stairs. Like, don't you slam your door when we're in the middle of a, <laughs> like, that's not, so it's not going to go anywhere. And so I often talk to parents who will say like, well, it feels like it's too soft or too forgiving or it's not about that. It's about, of course, we set limits. Of course, later on, we talk to that kid about door slamming the same way that my husband later on could have talked to me about waking up earlier. It's about the timing of it. And it's about how in that moment, your goal is to somehow show that other person that they're not being chased by a bear. Mm-hmm. Does that... I I feel like I just spoke no, for a really helps. long time and I have no idea if I answered your question. <laughs> you didn't answer my question at all, first of all. No. <laughs> and I just, I think the best way, at least for me understanding this, it's like, and your story was kind of perfect about your experience that day and you just wanted to feel validation. Like that's literally all you needed. And one thing I often, like my husband and I will do now and it, it took us years and years and years of marriage to get to this point. But when I'll start telling a story, he's like, okay, wait, hold on. Before you begin, you seem like you're a little bit on edge. Like, is this something you want me to just listen to and validate? Or do you want advice? Advice, right. And exactly. I'm like, you know, okay, no, I don't want person. any advice. <laughs> no advice right now, please. And then I'll offload and he'll be like, wow, yeah, that's, you know, and he'll validate my feelings. And later on, I'll be like, okay, so what did you think? And he'll be like, well, (laughs) and then I'm in that space to accept, you know, their advice, right? And I think the same goes for kids. Like if we're, if they're throwing this tantrum about peanut butter, they don't need your advice that the amount of peanut butter is just fine. And, you know, we don't have enough peanut butter to put, you know, a thicker slab of peanut butter on there or whatever. Like they don't, they're not hearing that. That's not what they're upset. They want to feel validation. And so whenever... 
one of my kids is having a difficult time now, like that's all I think about in my head is, okay, I had a difficult time yesterday and what did I need at that at that mm-hmm. time. Exactly. Like, I needed someone to be like, oh man, Lindsay, that sounds awful. I can't imagine what I would do. Like, what do you need from me? You know? And that's exactly what our kids need. And they're not going to learn how to regulate their own emotions if we're kind of feeding into those emotions and having the same emotions. And it's so difficult, so difficult, but like, it's so, so difficult. And, that, and again, yeah. I was about to say, because the precursor to be able to do what you just said, which is spot on, is not to take it personally mm-hmm. and to know they're not doing it to you. You right. know, if if you can get there as a parent, then you can kind of pause, you know, in, in my, when I wrote the book about tantrums, I really made a point. There is no one size fits all with parenting, right? There's no like top 10 strategies. I mean, we can certainly go through some, but the most important thing I think parents can do that I would recommend for everybody and every kid of every age with every kid of every age is, is can, is, can you pause, right? It's not a crisis. It feels like a crisis. Can you pause? get yourself into regulation mm-hmm. long enough just to pause. Because if you can pause, then you can decide because you're the one who's the expert in your kid. You can then decide, what am I going to do here? Am I going to toe the line? Am I going to give in? Am I going to empathize? Am I going to use a big no voice because there's something safety related at hand? Am I going to give them a hug? Am I going to use humor? Am I like, there's all kinds of things you if you can pause, you can see the fork in the road with so many options. Mm-hmm. And if you can't pause, if you get sucked into it, then suddenly there's nothing intentional that you're doing. You're just reacting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I have found too, at least from my personal experience, the more kids we had, it was like harder to find that, that like quiet mm-hmm. moment to be like, okay, no. Let's just reevaluate before we kind of jump into this. Because sometimes you have two kids doing the same thing at the same time. Or, you know, in our case, we have two of our four. When they get along, it's like a beautiful harmony. Like they play. Their imaginary play is like out of this world. Like so amazing. Like I love just Mm. watching them, you know, perform this imaginary play. But when they're not in sync, I this whole house is like dysregulated the whole thing well that's that's the whole whole co-regulation thing thing. yeah Yeah. and those two will throw it all off and I think that's something I didn't anticipate as being a mom of four kids right it's and I'm an I'm an only child I wanted to have four kids because I I didn't have that experience as a kid and I wanted my children to have that sibling experience so it's really hard for me because I feel like I'm so used to, you know, I grew up in this household. It was very quiet. And I would go out into my neighborhood constantly to play with all the kids in my neighborhood. But when I went home, I always had my space. And that has always been difficult for me because now I have these four kids and then two of the four, they'll set off that like that like equilibrium we have going on. And then I have been like, okay, you need to be the one. You're in charge of the ship. Nobody else. You're driving the plane. Mm-hmm, <laughs> we have to be mm-hmm. like the pilot. And it can be it can be really, really tough. And I was it's just really yeah, tough. So tough. <laughs> it's really tough. This podcast episode is brought to you by EveryPlate. I don't know about you, but once the hustle and bustle of the season starts, I love having opportunities that save me time, energy, and money. Every plate will make your days easier by having the dinner plans already taken care of. Save time at the grocery store and less time prepping with their already pre-portioned ingredients. 
Did you know that every plate costs 50% less than your average takeout dinner? They also introduced $1 steak for life. You can add a 10 ounce ranch steak to your weekly order for only $1. Their affordability is what sets every plate apart. One of my favorite things about every plate is that they offset 100% of their delivery emissions and their meals have a 31% lower carbon footprint on average than supermarket meals of the same portion. Plus, nearly all packaging materials are curbside recyclable in most areas in the U.S. This week, we ate honey sriracha fried chicken with mashed sweet potatoes and zucchini, and it was delicious. Prep time was a quick 10 minutes, and the recipe was on the table within 45 minutes total. You can get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal, plus $1 steaks for life, by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code 49Lindsay. That's $1.49 per meal plus $1 stakes for life by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering the code 49Lindsay. That's L-Y-N-Z-Y. Your subscription must be active to qualify to redeem your $1 stake. Enjoy. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I have like two more specific questions if you don't mind. Of course not. The first is... Say our child is having a tantrum and we're not even really sure what it's about because they haven't really told us. They're just kind of, you know, maybe they're screaming. Maybe they went up to their room and they slammed the door and, you know, whatever age this might be. What are we doing as the parent to let them know, I see you. I want to validate your feelings, even though you're not sure yet what's actually wrong. How are you supporting them in that moment? Whether they're, you know, on the floor kicking and screaming or they've run up to their room and shut the door. Like, what are we as a parent doing at that time to make them feel like they're validated? It's such a great question because the answer is actually quite simple, which is that it doesn't actually matter what it's about. Right. Like it, I could walk into a room with a tantruming child and validate having no idea because what you know is that something feels really bad. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's all you need to know. It's the same thing when you said, how would, you know, if you were having a hard time yesterday, what would you need? You'd need someone to say like, oh, Lindsay, I don't know what happened today, but man, looks like it was rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that would be just as helpful. So you're not validating the actual experience or the actual thing. You're just validating that they're having a hard time and that whatever it's about they're allowed and it's okay. And that you want, you believe them. You believe that it really, whatever it is, stinks for them. Mm -hmm. And so if a kid is crying and screaming on the floor, again, I would be really hesitant to use too many words at all. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you know, I talk a lot about the timing as kind of when you can see the, the train possibly falling off the tracks and what you can do there. And, you know, once the train is off the track, a lot of times it's just waiting it out and it might just be the, the your facial expression mm-hmm. and your body language. And maybe once in a while looking over at them and just being like, oh, this is so hard. You're having so many feelings. Something just doesn't feel right. Be quiet. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And same thing for your teenager. You know, you give them a couple minutes to cool down. You knock. If they say, don't come in, you say, okay, I hear you need your space. You know, if they say, come in, you say, I don't know what's going on with you. I just want to let you know that whatever it is. 
you know, I can tell it really sucks and I'm here. Go away. Okay. Again, parents get into a mistake where it's like, go away. I came here to tell you that I was here for you and that's how you're going to (laughs) respond. Right. I mean, it's all about the timing. Right. And it's just when they're in that state, they are not, they're not sitting there being like, how can I be as rude as possible? Even though, of course, that's what it feels like. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to get themselves back into a calmer state. And you're just saying, you're just being there and maybe using a few words to communicate that you're there, even if you have no idea what's going on with them, which happens more and more as it sort of happens when kids are too little pre-language. And then it happens again when they're teenagers. In between, they tend to tell you what's up. (laughs) But, uh, you know, you're just there. You're kind of, as you said, you're the pilot. I think of it as um, it's an expression that's actually from the business world. I don't know who made it up, but that you're the thermostat, not the thermometer. Mm-hmm. Right. So your yeah. job is to set is to set the temperature and hope that they come back to you rather than to just sort of take their temperature and meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking this morning of, you know, you were just saying like the go away and the, it's the go away and the leave me alone. And it's like the opposite of what they really want or need. There is this big message now on social media that like when your kid says go away or leave me alone, that it's definitively the opposite, I think is what you just said, or that they don't want that. I don't. Well, that's like more their fear. Is it like more of like a fear? Yeah. Or, or they need space. Like I, I don't, I think there's a lot of parents now who are like, my kid is saying go away. And I'm like, no, I'm going to stay here because you're not too big for me. It's like some kids will respond really well to that. Other kids my nine-year-old being among them, really need space, Mm, really do not want me there. And that's where, again, it's like, as a parent, if you can stay regulated, you are the expert in your kid. And don't follow Instagram advice that your kid is telling you like, no, please leave me alone. I know that's your fear that I'm going to abandon you. No, mom, it's not my fear. I need some time to myself, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Can yeah. you imagine if our if our partners started saying that to us? Oh, I would I mean, like it, flip it, out. I'd go ballistic. Exactly. Yeah, I would So I just out. wanted to pause. I know it may or may not have even been what you meant, but I just wanted to say that when you said the go away or the leave me alone is the opposite of what they really want, maybe. And maybe it's exactly what they really want, not forever, <laughs> but for, yeah. you know, 10 minutes. And no, you, you nailed it because so that is what this particular child, like what my eight-year-old means when she says that. So she's very, I don't know, in the psych world, maybe you would call it like a like a highly emotional type of child. And mm-hmm. when she says that to me, what she really means is I need you closer. And mm-hmm. her specifically. Specifically. Not her, all yeah. my kids are like that. My oldest, she, you know, she'll have her difficult time and then she'll run upstairs. I know she doesn't want me to follow her. I don't follow her. I wait for her to come back down, which is usually in two to three minutes. Like that's how long it takes. She goes up there and then she comes back down. She's like, oh, mom, I mean, that was, yeah, sorry about that. I didn't mean to say that or whatever it was. And and she's back to normal. So she needs that space and she doesn't need me to like run up there and be like, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. <laughs> but I love that because what you're saying is that you parent your kids differently and yeah. because you've learned what they need, which yeah. is the name of the game. I think it's hard. It's hard because you don't, yeah, it takes many years to figure it all out. And and so this morning, you know, you wake up in the morning. Like I had just woken up. I was sleeping in today because I have to work overnight. So I slept till 6.45 instead of getting up early to like work out. And this is me just starting my day. I hear screaming downstairs. My husband's already at work and they're screaming downstairs. So I'm like, oh boy, you know, like this is how I'm going to wake up today. So I'm like taking my big deep breaths, going to the stairs. Yeah, and yeah. 
I had put our six-year-old needed new snow boots. He didn't have any snow boots. So I had gotten him these snow boots on sale. They came in yesterday and I put them in front of his locker so he could try them on and make sure they fit. And they were arguing about these snow boots and he was like, no, they're mine. I let me try them on. And she's like, they're not yours. And so I came down and I was like, oh guys, um, those are, you know, those were his, I, I had got them for him. And my eight-year-old's like, no, they're mine. They fit. And I'm like, okay, well they might fit, but they are for him. Like you already have, I had already given her her snow boots for this year. They were hand-me-downs from her big sister, which are hardly used. And she was excited about them. And so she already had some, right? And so in my head, what's happening is like, why does she think these are hers? She already has snow boots. And so it's hard sometimes, right? Because you're like, I don't get this, but it doesn't matter. She just feels like these are hers and it's making her upset. So I'm like, okay, you you already have your snow boots and, and these are for him. And I know that might feel bad right now. And so I'm like, just trying my hardest, right? At 6.45 to help keep the coffee <laughs> keep everybody exactly. regulated and she's just screaming at me just leave me alone just leave me alone and so i'm like okay i failed at that moment to kind of like de-escalate things i felt like but you know sometimes it just ends up where it ends up and there's nothing much you could have done but like i said so my whole point of this was that she was screaming this just leave me alone over and over and over again and but she never went anywhere she just stayed right there so i just yeah. sat there i just sat on the floor not close to her just like in the same room and i just sat there and i was like all right well i we'll just we'll just hang out here just for a minute until you're feeling a little bit better and i just sat there that's, that's really all i could do yeah. in the moment too cuz i was like i i don't have the energy yet to even do anything else i'm just going to sit here and melt into the floor <laughs> it, it it happens to be all that you could do but it was the best thing you could do yeah yeah. Was just to show her like, I'm not rattled. Mm-hmm. Like I'm here, you're having a really hard time and that's okay. Yeah. You know, and when you said that you failed to deescalate it, you know, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm on a mission to just have us stop using that word in mm-hmm. any context, but you know, that wasn't necessarily your job. And, and it's so easy. You could also flip that around and say, maybe she needed a release. Yeah. Maybe it had nothing to do with the boots. Maybe right. yesterday she had a tough day or maybe she didn't sleep right. well and she was just looking for the thing the same way where, you know, I remember screaming at my husband at one point, it's not about the Tupperware, you know, <laughs> it, it's, you know, and so maybe you actually did everybody a favor by putting the boots down there where you did because she needed that release and, she, yeah. and, and you know, your kid. And so you responded in a really attuned way, which is that you didn't leave and you didn't smother her. You know, sometimes moments like that, kids respond, my younger one responds, really, you know, if he's doing that, I'll say like, okay, but do you want to hug first? Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll look at me and I'll go, mm, yeah. and then I'll come in for a hug. You know, yeah, yeah. it's like you just, and so again, I think what you did was exactly what we've been talking about. You let her co-regulate off of you. That's mm-hmm. what you were technically doing. I'm going to mm-hmm. sit here calmly, not rattled, letting her do her thing and letting her nervous system take cues from my nervous system and get itself back into regulation. We're going to ride this wave. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as you mentioned too, I mean, every child is so different because, you know, she, I feel like when she's in the midst of whatever is giving her a difficult time, she needs more of that body language and less words. And then, you know, my oldest, she would rather talk through things. Of course, the body language is good and being there, but like she talking through things, she's able to do that in the midst of of most of her moments. 
And every child is so different. I'm still trying to figure out my son who's six. Like, okay, what does he definitely need right now? And so, you know, feeding off of their cues, I think, you know, you know your kid best, right? And so figuring out what they need in that moment, it takes time. It's not something that's just going to come to you. Like you really, you have to really know how they respond to certain things to know what to do in each moment. What I wanted to talk about next was, okay, so say we had this difficult time, we've worked through it, and now how should we address what the situation was afterwards? Like what if it was something that wasn't as simple as, you know, the peanut butter was spread too thin? Maybe this was something a little bit more serious. Maybe there was a sibling interaction and someone stole someone's toy while they were playing with it and then the other person, you know, hit them in the face or what have you, like something a bit more serious that needs to, there needs to be a conversation afterwards when everybody mm-hmm. has kind of calmed down a bit. What are your suggestions on how to keep that connection with our kids and while still, you know, making them feel seen and heard? Yeah. And I think this is a little bit of a ideal versus in practice, you know, like pie in the sky is the sitcom where everybody comes to the table and has a conversation, you know, and it, I don't know that in real life that always happens. So I often try to think about what's the most important message I have to get across here. Because again, if you have time, sure, the ideal is like, hey, so let's the three of us sit and chat for a second about what happened. How are you feeling? How are you feeling? What could we have done differently? You know, what I think is interesting, and it's another misconception, is that like a lot of the times kids know the answers. So you could sit and talk to your kid who hit the other kid in the face. How do you think it made her feel? Mm -hmm. What could you have done differently? And many kids are going to nail that. (laughs) You know, like it's like they could write a five paragraph essay about it. (laughs) The problem is that when you're in threat response, you don't think about it like that. And so again, it's even once you're out of the threat response, you can't, it's like when parents, I think often misstep by being like, why? Why did you do it? Why did you do it? What? There's no, it's the same thing with, with, if you ask me, like, why did you slam the cabinet? Okay, slam the cabinet because I was just like exhausted and pissy. Like, I really have nothing else to tell you about it. You know, like it just was the right thing to do at the time. You know, like, please stop asking me. I just yeah. did. I did it, you know. So I often think there's just a really quick, like, if you're somebody hit someone in the face to just say, like, we got to figure that like, we, I love we, we got to figure this out because. I get that you were really angry. I get you weren't thinking about it. I actually know you didn't you didn't set out to hit your sister in the face. Mm-hmm. You're not a kid who hits your sister in the face and and yet it cannot happen. And I know you know that. Like I, I think I think lead, I think going as I'm talking, I'm just thinking about how to put this into like a general principle. Mm-hmm. Leading with the fact that you trust your kid and that you're on the same team as your kid, I think is so important. And that you're there to it's almost like a it's like a coach, you know? It's like I'm on your team. We have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. I get that you didn't do it on purpose or that you, I shouldn't say, you know, that you've never, it's not like you sat down to play and thought like, wow, I really hope this ends with me hitting my sister in the face, mm-hmm. but it happened. What can we do? And that's, you know, it's really hard when kids are little because they don't have the skills necessarily to, once the moment's over, the moment's over. Mm. Sometimes as kids get older, you can say like, when you feel yourself start getting frustrated, can you? take a deep breath or, you know, whatever the skill might be, you know, you can sort of lean toward teaching kids coping skill. Otherwise it might be something that's less, you know, it's just sort of like, okay, you know, you're keeping, I don't know. I don't know either, but let's keep an eye on it because hitting is hitting in the face is just something that 
just can't happen. And sometimes that's enough yeah. of just drawing attention to it. I think that, I mean, we could have a whole other episode about the merits and, and non-merits of, you know, having kids apologize. Because I, I think that's, you know, but I, I just, I think, I, I think what I'll say on this topic for this question is it's a long game. Right. And I think parents misstep by thinking they kind of have to wrap every incident in a bow, you know, and like teach the lesson and make sure it's like if everybody's having a really lovely evening after that, I don't know that I would revisit it. You know, it's yeah. like there will be, unfortunately, another time that your kid hits your other kid in the face. Right. <laughs> you know? uh, many, like, many times. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I just, I, and then if it's an ongoing problem, that's where you consult with, you know, someone like me. And maybe we come up with a system and we teach your kids some skills and we mm-hmm. come up with like a poster and cope it. You know, like there's things we can do if it becomes an ongoing problem that's regular and kind of predictable. But if it's just, I don't know. I I feel like if it's a safety thing, if it's like, yeah, the whole issue is like you touched the toaster and the toaster was on and you burned your hand. Yeah, we revisit that. Mm-hmm. If it's you kind of know what happened, everybody lost their temper and everybody was exhausted, whatever. It's okay to 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 just have a one sentence like, well, that was a lousy afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and not bring it up all over again unless you really think your kid doesn't know something, which nine out of ten times in my experience is not the case. Right. Right. And parents think it is, or that they have some responsibility to, like, they're a bad parent unless they really just reiterate to them that it's not okay to hit their kid in the face, which, but they yeah. know that. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the long game. Like, I keep this in my, the back of my head all the time. So I have a few friends who have older kids than me. And, which is rare because I had my kids relatively early, considering late 20s is kind of, I feel like it's a little, you know, it's like early mm-hmm. to have had kids um, in our generation. And, sure you know, I love hearing them say or giving me a story, an example of something that like my my neighbor, she has an almost 13 year old and she'll tell me a story and she'd be like, Lindsay, it came full circle. Like it took 10 years, <laughs> but I finally see what I was trying to teach my child. Mm-hmm. I saw it came full circle. So I always remind myself of that. And I think it helps a lot to to hear it to hear it over and over again because, like you said, so much of what we're doing when we're parenting is for the long game, and you're not going to see these huge improvements overnight. If I have like if my two kids they fight all the time, right? If I'm talking to them and working through a situation, I'm like, yes, I nailed it. I did so. I did great. I like really parented through that well, and I'm like patting myself on the back. And I do that consistently over a week. And then the next day they do it again. And I'm like, oh, you know, it was all for nothing. And so keeping in your head, like, no, it's about the long game. Like all I have to do is be consistent. Consistency Mm -hmm. is key over and over again, doing the same thing and having the same reaction, you know, with that one thing that they do. It's like over time it compounds. And then one day something happens and you're like, oh. That was because of all that, like all that work I was doing, you know? And so I think it's so hard because on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't feel sometimes like you're Absolutely. making a difference. But as they get older, like now in my 10-year-old, I see how she handles situations. And I'm like, oh shoot, is that part of my parenting? That might be part right. of my or parenting. Right. Or you hear something from their teacher, right? Or yes. you hear that, like, oh, your your kid did this amazingly kind thing. You're like, they did? Yeah. But you know. It's like the other thing I would say, because I just, I listen for buzzwords that like are going to make parents feel shitty. Yeah. (laughs) So when you said, 
all I have to do is be consistent and do the same thing every time. I just want to say like, and it's okay if you mess that up once or twice too. Yeah. Like I, I just, I just, again, cause there's unfortunately because so much of parenting right now is on social media where these things get, you know, there are these bullet, like one, but like be consistent, you know, it's like, of course be consistent. And no one is a hundred percent consistent and your kids are still going to learn these lessons or whatever it is, you Mm -hmm. know, you know, embody these values. If like one time you were in a really bad mood and you didn't do the thing. (laughs) Right. And Um, you know, like, like I said before, you know, there are so many days you're going to like be like, okay, well that we'll start over tomorrow. (laughs) And mm-hmm. the long run, again, the long game, it doesn't look at all of those different days that you were like, ah, this was, it's just, you know, you try your best, you know? And as long as you're, this is what I think personally, like when I'm parenting, as long as I know and go up to my kid afterwards, like if I know that I didn't handle, I was dysregulated and I kind of like met my kid where they were instead of trying to like bring them back down to feeling regulated afterwards. I'll be like, oh man, I don't know. Mommy was like raising her voice. That did not feel good at all. And I am really working on that. So if you catch me doing that, you can always say to me, mom, I don't know. You're raising your voice a little bit. And actually it's funny because I did that with my eight-year-old. This was like, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And you know, again, this was like a um, an incident with her her brother. And so you know, I had raised my voice and afterwards I was like, I shouldn't have raised my voice. I'm working on that. And and so I was like, the next time you tell me, you know? And so she did. So like it happened again, like, a, I don't know, a few weeks later or something. And she was like, mom, you told me you weren't going to raise your voice anymore when we talked about this. And I was like, oh shoot, you're right. <laughs> and it was kind of yeah, cool because yeah. it was in the moment and it totally, and she kind of said it like, you know, with like the smirk on her face, like, oh, I got her, you know? And yeah, it kind yeah, of yeah. like really helped us connect and like almost laugh in the midst of this really chaotic moment, really chaotic. Like we were both very yeah. triggered by like what one another were doing. And anyways, it was and just I love like, that. yeah, that's, that's a repair, right? We talk a lot about the formal repair, which is like when you go to your kid and you apologize and, and you guys get back on the same page and back into, into connection. And I think those are really important, especially when, as you said, you know, we quote unquote mess up, Mm -hmm. but also those little moments, you know, those little moments in the, you know, where it's like, oh yeah. And then you laugh together. It's like, that's, that's the dream, right? That right there. It's like, you've stayed attuned and connected even in the midst of conflict. And if we can teach our kids how to do that, I mean, this is where I get on a soapbox. I'm like, if we could teach the world how to do that. I know. I know. Cause, (laughs) cause it's not about not making mistakes or like you said, you know, being hundred percent consistent. It's about just failing and your kids need to fail and they need to see you make mistakes because who the hell, who, who is like a perfect person? Nobody. Like they need to see you doing these things and coming back and talking about them and saying, Oh, that wasn't the right way to handle that. You know? And then they're, when they make a mistake, first of all, they're not going to feel shame or guilt about it. They're going to be like, Oh, I made a mistake. Let me talk about this with the person I made a mistake with and we can talk through it, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, and it's, again, it's just, it's hard because sometimes you just, it's just hard. Parenting is like the hardest thing on the planet. It, I really, it, truly it think it is the <laughs> hardest thing on the planet. I I don't know. I mean, I I didn't think that before having kids. I was like, oh, having kids, like it's fun. Like you, yeah, no, it's, it's difficult. It's both. It's all the things. It really is. I yeah. mean, it's, yeah. But anybody who says it's not hard is lying. Oh, 100%. <laughs> 100%. 
Okay, so we obviously ran out of time. So we are do you have like two minutes sure. to wrap up? Okay. So Absolutely. is there anything that we didn't specifically address that you wanted to add in here? No. I mean, I could talk about all of this stuff forever. Yeah. But is there any like one gem? No. No. Okay. So I'm going to end this with two questions I ask everybody I have on. So the first question is, if you had one piece of advice to give to moms, what would it be? And it doesn't you know, have to be at all related to what we talked about. One piece of advice to give to moms. They all sound so trite, but I mean, I guess I would say, take it easy on yourself. I mean, I again, it sounds very generic and overused, but that's because it needs to be. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to be a mom. It's really hard to be a mom, frankly, in the United States. Um, we're not that great to mom. No, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah. Which and like so just order. take it easy on yourself. Like this isn't you. Like this is the system. This is society. This is how we unfortunately systematize really yucky things. So yeah, take yeah. it easy on yourself. Yep. Breathe. I don't know. All those yoga, yoga quote things. <laughs> <laughs> See, I see those and I'm like, oh, you breathe. Me too. <laughs> Me too. But like I but when I stop and think, like, yeah, like no, eat, like, you know, so but that's why I call them the yoga quote things because like yeah. I roll my eyes too. But at the end of the day, like it's really good advice. It it honestly and so my quick side off from that, my husband who has never ever done yoga or meditated in his life has been meditating for the past three or four weeks. And I, I mean I already see a huge difference and I'm like, oh shoot, like everything I've said about like yoga and meditating is kind of out uh, yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yeah. And he's all, like, I'm noticing all these yeah. things about myself and now I want to work with the kids on this. And I'm like, oh wow. Maybe this is, you know, is all it's cracked up to be, you know? So last question for you is if you could make one meal for your family that everyone would eat, that's relatively quick and easy, what would it be? English muffin pizza. Oh my gosh, my mom made those for me growing up all the time. They were so good. Yeah, they were so good. They were so good. She actually brought them, brought all the ingredients over for my kids like a couple weeks ago. And it's just, yeah, they're so easy and they're so yummy. And the kids can like make their own and they think that it's like the greatest thing ever. Right. And I'm not a cook. So that would be where my expertise ended. (laughs) I finally found, which is like never around anymore, Campbell's tomato bisque soup in some like random supermarket. And I, my kids actually are really into it, which is my husband's not psyched about because my husband's the cook and he's a really good cook. And so when they like things like Campbell soup, he's like, why do I bother? Yeah. Yeah. But that might be my second was I'd make everybody Campbell's tomato bisque soup. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Hey, I mean, it's easy. Who cares? It's I feel like it's you know not what? particularly nutritious, but like whatever, have some baby carrots. Yeah, it's fine. It's it's totally exactly. fine. <laughs> my kids like the past three days have had you know just like spaghetti from the cupboard because I'm like, what do you guys yeah. want tonight? Spaghetti. I'm like, I I just don't care. And and last night I was taking my oldest to the Yukon game, and so my husband had the three little ones, and he's like, what do you guys want? They're like spaghetti. And he's like, no, let's do something different. And they were like, no. And he's like, okay. <laughs> done. Not even going to yeah. work through this. This is, that's fine. <laughs> and you know what? They're thriving, you know, no matter what they eat. So, okay. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on to walk us through this. And I learned a lot and I hope that everybody listening did too. My pleasure. It was a great conversation for, for a Thursday morning. So thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. 
To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.